0: All right. Well, good morning. My name, thank you. My name is Josh Locke. I'm an elder here, and uh, we are starting our Easter series. Uh, so we're excited to to come together. Our series is entitled "Join Us on the Journey" because we'll be following the journey that Jesus takes from His last days on Earth through the crucifixion, the resurrection, and then the ascension into heaven. Um, and so we we thought it would be a, a good Good opportunity to really look into the Word, to see what happens, and then to say, God, what do you have for us in this season? What do you have to, to speak to us about this? So uh, this week we are covering the events leading up right to the crucifixion, and, and next week we will cover the cross. And typically next week is Palm Sunday, right? You probably, you may not remember, it, but then a bunch of people have palm branches in here, and they're waving them around. We'll, we thought, you know what, we're going to spend some time focusing on the cross. So that will be next week. The week after that, it's Easter, right? And as Christians, that's our Super Bowl, right? That's our Super Bowl Sunday. Um, That is a big deal, because everyone will die, but Jesus was raised again, right? And that is power. That's powerful. We'll look the following week at Jesus as he meets with the disciples and talks to people, and um, we will see him go to heaven. And then the last week, the end of our series, will be about the Holy Spirit, And how as Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit comes to us and and there's power. So thank you for joining us on this journey. Thank you for for joining us online. All right, our journey starts 10 days before the resurrection. And that's where we'll kick off. And I will invite Chris to come on up. So you'll have some people up here. They're just going to be holding some objects to to kind of make a timeline for us as we go. So the journey of Jesus starts 10 days before the resurrection. He takes about a 10-mile journey from Jericho, you can see in the top right of the map, to Bethany, to his friend's house, Lazarus, and he has dinner there. Uh, and it's there that Mary pours this expensive bottle of perfume onto Lazarus' feet, or to Jesus' feet. And, you know, expensive bottle of perfume, uh, that, that was about an average worker's yearly salary. That's how much this cost. Right, and so that in U, in New Hampshire U.S. dollars, that's sixty-five thousand dollars. Right, so I went and bought a bottle of perfume that was sixty-five thousand dollars. Just, kidding. <laughs> that's definitely not that. Um, but Mary takes this and pours it on Jesus's feet, and it's really viewed as the symbolic gesture of anointing. She's anointing Jesus um, as he starts on this this journey. John 12 verse three. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the the fragrance of the perfume. All right. So the perfume happens. Jesus is anointed. And now nine days before the resurrection. Chris, you can, or Rock, you can come on up. So Jesus travels. Uh, This map's a little hard to see in the top right there, Bethany, where he was at. The next day he walks about a mile to Bethpage. And we've seen this story before. Uh, He tells his disciples, go get a colt. It will be tied up. Uh, If someone asks you, tell them I need it. And all that happens. And then we see in John 12, 12. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. All right. Eight days before the resurrection. Uh, Patrick, come on up. So, People start to realize Jesus is in the city and then he does something and pretty much everyone knows what's going on. Matthew 21, 12. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves. Right? If you remember a couple weeks ago, Nate Wheeler talked about this and talked about how these people were supposed to be here by biblical law, but they were doing it unjustly. Okay? So if people didn't know Jesus was in the city he just wrecked the, the, center, the, the religious center of the city, and, and they know. So six days before the resurrection, Rachel, you can come on up. So during this time, Jesus is challenged by the religious leaders, and he does a lot of teaching. He shares some parables and, and that type of thing. Matthew 21 to 24, capture all, all that's happening here. Right? So a lot's going on. Four days until the resurrection. Max, you can come on up. So a lot happens on this day. The Last Supper, which, which you probably have heard before, Jesus shares his Last Supper with his disciples, and they are all, you know, they have the, the meeting in the upper room. And then after the Last Supper, they walk to the Garden of Gethsemane. So, Gareth, can you come on up? So, they walk to the garden. It's really late at night. Jesus and his disciples are there. Jesus goes off and prays by himself. And we, this is where we see him submit to the Father. He says, you know, not my will, but yours be done to God. It's this picture of humility. And then this, this verse always just stood out to me. I love it. John 18. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them, the, the, the guard. Who are you looking for, he asked. Jesus of the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, said Jesus. And Judas, who had betrayed him, was standing with them. And as Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. I don't know about you, but if I was one of those soldiers, and I fell to the ground just because Jesus said who He was. I might let that one go, right? But they obviously didn't do that. All right, so here's our timeline. A lot is happening. Um, thank you, everyone uh, who came up. You can just put it on the on the step where you're at, just so you can. So we can see a lot of stuff going on leading up to the last, the last days of Jesus. Now, in the garden. That They're in there so late that the next morning, that's the day Jesus is crucified, right? The trial happens and then Jesus is crucified. So a lot happens during this period of time. You know, as I was seeking the Lord to say, okay, where, where do you want us to spend our time and, and study the word? Uh, I came to this, the, the, uh, I was really drawn to this passage. It's John 13 through 18. It's called the Upper Room Discourse. So, The disciples and Jesus are in an upper room. They're by themselves. They're sharing a meal. We know a lot's been going on up these last couple days. And Jesus knows that his hour has come. He knows time is up and he knows what's happening next. So there's this intimate setting and Jesus and his disciples are there alone. And this will be the last time that Jesus is able to talk with his disciples before he's crucified and resurrected. You know, if, if it were your time, if you knew your time was up, don't you think your words would have just a little more weight or intentionality to be thinking about what you were saying? So, in this upper room discourse, a ton of stuff happens here. Uh, so, they have the Last Supper. Jesus washes their feet, he gives disciples commands on how to live. We see some really common verses I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14. In John 15, he says, I am the vine, and you're the branches. He talks about the Holy Spirit coming and Jesus prays for them. He prays for the world all in this couple hours of time. So I don't know when they had dinner, but between dinner and midnight, 1, 2 a.m., that's, that's all the time that is left. And so it's this intimate moment that Jesus starts to share. And there were three things that, that really stood out to me. I can't capture them all today, uh, but there are three things that stood out to me. So John 13, 1, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew it, that his hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father. He loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the end. Right? Jesus is taking this time to share with his disciples. So three things stood out to me as I, as I looked at that. and that you know, I've read this before. I've read these passages before. But looking at them with the context of what was happening, that these were the last hours Jesus had with his disciples, they really, it really stood out to me. So they're in the upper room. There's, there's this you know, weight of what's going on. And Jesus shares three marks, three differentiators of the Christian life. He talks about humility. And he gives the, an unusual example. He talks about loving one another. And he gives them a new command. And he talks about peace that, that doesn't make sense. So John 13, 12 to 15. After washing their feet, Jesus put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done. So what is Jesus doing here? It's this humble act of service. If you're not familiar, this is where Jesus and the disciples are. It's the Middle East. It's dusty, dusty. No one wears shoes, they wear sandals, they walk everywhere, and they don't bathe all the time. And so feet were very dirty. So this act of washing feet was a, usually like a symbolic gesture. It wasn't, it wasn't maybe like a host would do it to a guest. You would never see a master do it to their students. You would probably never see a peer do it to a peer. You would really see this job reserved for a non Jewish slave. So basically, who the Jews would consider a nobody. And Jesus takes this job and washes the disciples' feet. He sets an example. And he tells them, as I'm doing this, you should do it as well. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, Jesus didn't talk about humility. He didn't talk about serving others this way. Before anything happens, before the meals even started, Jesus does this act of, of humility this act of service to them and he just does it so he starts off with with humility he's loving people and he's not needing to talk about so see as i wash feet right this is a good example of what you should be doing he just does it and i think as christians sometimes we're just called to do you know we're called to just love people even if it's you know we're not getting the recognition or talking about it and for christians if you're a christian today your first act to following Jesus was really an act of humility as well. So God's view on humility is very clear. James 4, 6. God, he gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So before speaking, Jesus acted. Humble service is putting others before yourself regardless of who or, or they are. You know, the Christian life will have humility at the forefront. So where is God calling you to act with humility? Now, what would it look like if you led with humility like like Jesus did? Remember the moment Jesus is talking with his disciples, and this is the first thing he's saying in this last moment of time. He's talking about humility. So the second mark of the Christian life Jesus gives is loving one another. John 13:35 or 31 33 to 35 My children I will be with you only a little longer you will look for me and just as I told the Jews so I tell you now where I'm going you cannot come a new command I give you love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another So remember Jesus is is saying the time is short. He's talking about how he's leaving. And he tells the disciples three things in this. He says, love one another three times. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. And by this the world will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So this command to love people is not new. Right? You can see this in Matthew, you can see this throughout the Bible. Uh, but the newness is that Jesus is raising the standard for the love. He is saying, it's the way I love you. That's now the standard for love. And Jesus loved with humility, with sacrifice, with devotion. He says, as I have loved you, you must love one another. He gives an example. He says, I'm the standard for that. And I thought it was interesting as I studied this, that loving one another is not talking about all people, right? We, we know that the Bible says to do this, we spent weeks talking about love and Jesus loving people, but in this moment, Jesus is saying loving one another as other believers, other Christians, other followers of Jesus, right? So this is really a call to unity, to love one another. And Emily and I, my wife, we were talking about this, and she brought up the point that, you know, our brothers and sisters in Christ are the people that we're called to love in this example, in this, in this moment. And it's, it's pretty easy to fight with family. You probably fight with your family more than you fight with your neighbor or your, um, you know, your, your acquaintance or something like that. But family, you know, we tend to have those moments where it can be challenging, and, you know, that we, that's all well and good, but Jesus is saying how we love each other, how we love our brothers and sisters in Christ is the way the world will see that we follow Jesus. So if we're not, right, if, if the way that we are interacting or talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ is not that, it's not attractive to the world. And then lastly, Jesus says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples. So we love each other. The way that we love each other is the way that the world will know that we follow Jesus. So Charles Stanley, he's a theologian, he writes in his Life Principles Bible about this verse. He says, The method Jesus gave us to introduce ourselves to the world is love. The world does not know that we are his disciples through correct doctrine or through big buildings, but through our love for one another. So this really struck home with me, that the world won't know that I'm a follower of Jesus by the money I give, If I go to church, the world knows that I follow Jesus by how I love you. And I think the challenge for us today, as we look into the Word, is to ask Does the world know that we follow Jesus? Does the world know that we're followers of Christ, or are we missing something? Does the world know that we follow Jesus? I'm really challenged by this. Now, how, how we treat people, how we treat our brothers and sisters, the world's going to see that. Now, how do we talk about our brothers and sisters in Christ? How do we meet the needs of other believers? When they are struggling, do we struggle? When they rejoice, do we rejoice? And I'm not talking about not confronting believers and calling out sin. That, that's not it at all. But we have a command from Jesus that to show the world how we, to show the world who we are and therefore who Jesus is, it starts with how we love one another. And I think this is why Jesus led this whole conversation with that act of humility. Because that's the way we're going to start. When we stop thinking of ourselves maybe too highly and we think of others first, when we humble ourselves like Jesus did, it's a lot easier to start loving our brothers and sisters. So you know, what do you, how, how do you change this? How do you make a difference? That, that's the part I'm at right now. I don't have an answer for you, but just to give you a window into my challenge that I'm experiencing, You know, when, when I feel like God is saying something to me and I'm not, I'm not quite sure what it is and I'm trying to understand, I'll, I'll take time and I'll pray and I'll ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom. I'll, I'll take time and think about it, like driving in the car, you know, in the shower, wh- wherever you have a free moment to, to really intentionally think. And then I'll talk to other believers about it. Small groups is a great place to do this. Right? So we just started small groups last week. This is a really good opportunity if, if you're not in a small group. It's a great place for you to get connected, have these conversations, and really just start to, to try to understand. You know, when you feel the sensitivity in your heart that God is saying something to you, like I'm feeling with this question right now, small groups is a great place to to continue that conversation. So the last mark of the Christian faith, the Christian life that Jesus talks about is peace. So think about what's happening right now. You saw all the different events leading up to this. Some of them are pretty crazy. The city is is all coming and chanting and and shouting as Jesus comes in. Jesus is wrecking temples and flipping over these tables. And now he's talking about leaving. And he's saying things like, where I'm going, you can't go. It's getting late into the night. They probably are already exhausted. Um, Hopefully they've had dinner by this point. At some point they leave and go to the garden of Gethsemane. And it gets to be past midnight. So it's just late. There's a lot going on. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus says here, he says in a number of different places, John fourteen 27, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. The peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. We have a gift of peace as believers and the world just doesn't understand it. So Philippians 4, 7, I feel like captures this perfectly. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. You know, we have a peace that the world might see, but it definitely doesn't understand. I was thinking about situations where I've been around death, when it's a not like a, a, a very sad time. It's not peaceful at all. And I was thinking, years and years ago, my grandfather passed away, and we were extended family were in the room right next to him in his home as he was dying, and uh, I, I just remember sitting on the couch there with my cousins around me and I'm reading my Bible um, and I'm sad, absolutely, but I have hope. I have peace in my heart and I look into my cousin's eyes and I can, I can picture it now and it was hopeless because they don't know the Lord. So we have a peace that even in the midst of what we walk through, regardless of the circumstance, Jesus promises us peace. You know, Just like the disciples didn't know what was going on, they didn't know what they would do. When Jesus is arrested, they ran away. When he's crucified, when he's dead, and they don't know what's going on, Jesus promises them peace. And it's just like in our lives as well. When you have a situation where you don't know what to do, you don't know what's going on, you're not sure where to turn, Jesus' Jesus's response to you is this gift of peace. Peace. Peace that the world doesn't understand. Peace that shouldn't be there. And a peace that's promised for us. So what, what circumstances are you walking through that you need peace in your life? You now, if you're a believer, we have access to this. If you don't know Jesus, this peace is available to you. Simply, it's accessible. It, it just starts by asking Jesus for that. So in Jesus's last moments with the disciples, he's sharing these these three elements of the Christian faith. These are echoed in the New Testament. You can see that Paul, Timothy, Peter, they all write about this. They all talk about it. And Jesus lays down the subfloor of the Christian faith. And there's a lot of other things there too. But a subfloor is the floor that you're standing on. There's like carpet or tile or whatever. And then there's some other stuff, a padding, and then there's going to be, at some point, a layer of floor underneath your floor, and it's, it's like this big sheet of plywood that's there. Um, I'm, I'm using this example because we're, we're doing some work in our home. We ripped up our floors, and we you know, ripped up the tile and linoleum, and we ripped up the, this plywood, and then we get down to the subfloor, and Nate Wheeler's there, and he hands me this big box of screws, and he says, okay, every six to eight inches, Put, it, put one of these screws into the stud across the whole room. I and mean, this is like, this is hundreds of screws, right? And, and the reason you do this is it makes the, the ground feel firmer. And, you know, that's you know, a little ambiguous. But really what I noticed was when you step, you don't hear that squeak. Anyone have a squeak in their floor, right? And yeah, <laughs> we do. And so I'm, and once I realized it got the squeaks out, I'm like, okay, every, every couple of inches there are screws there. But the, the picture that the Lord gave me was, You know, Jesus lays down the subfloor. And sometimes, in every house, squeaks can come up. And that's not God's heart for us. He doesn't want us missing things. He wants us to have a Christian walk that's powerful. He wants us to walk in humility, to love one another, to have peace. Sometimes we don't have those things. And I believe God is calling us to do something about it to examine ourselves, our subfloor, and to make some small corrections. So are you living a life of humility towards others? Is there a way that you can lead with humility in a circumstance or situation? Are you following this new command to love one another? Does the world see that we have this love? Or are you faced with a situation in that you need peace that won't make sense, that the world won't understand? Because, Shiloh, it's okay to have squeaks in your floor. All houses will have that. But God doesn't want you just to be okay. He wants you to be powerful. He wants you to be solid. He wants you to have a firm foundation to stand on. And he doesn't want there to be squeaks in that floor. And God wants the best for all of us because that is how we will fulfill our purpose in him. The mission of Shiloh is to know God, to find freedom, to discover your purpose, and to make a difference As we study the Word, as we spend time together, we're always learning more about God. We're finding freedom. And we're moving towards discovering our purpose and making a difference. And sometimes that takes a little maintenance for us. So my challenge for all of us this week is to ask the Holy Spirit, are there any squeaks in my life? Jesus clearly thought this moment of time was important enough for him. This last couple hours... It's, it's, it was important enough for him to talk about these things in his last moments with his disciples. So my challenge for all of us is, are you leading? Can you turn the next slide? I think it's stuck. Thank you. Are there squeaks in your life? Because I believe that God wants us to have a firm foundation. So if you'll stand with me, I'd like to pray for all of us as we, as we go. God, you desire for us to have a firm, strong foundation. You laid out the floor, the subfloor for us, and sometimes you ask us to do some work there. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us and put in specific instances, situations, people, whatever it is that you're calling us to adjust. God, I thank you that you led with humility, that you set the standard of loving, and that you promised us peace. We are so grateful to you, Father, for that. God, we give you this this season of Easter. Would you let us experience the joy, the importance, and would you help us to share that with others? It's in your name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. If you would like prayer for anything, please come on up. If you would like to talk about peace that doesn't make sense, we would love to do that with you. Thank you for coming. We'll see you next week. And there's lunch downstairs, burritos. Thank you all.